0: Hello and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is the author of two middle-grade novels and has two more on the way. Here she is to introduce herself.
1: Hi, my name is Angela Ahn. I'm the author of Peter Lee's Notes from the Field. I was born in Seoul, South Korea. I won't say when, because then you can figure out how old I am. Um, But my family immigrated to Canada in the, I'll be vague again, the early 70s. And Vancouver has been home for most of that time, except for a few years overseas in Hong Kong teaching and a couple of years in Toronto when my husband was finishing his schooling, but I'm a lifelong Vancouverite.
0: Peter Lee's Notes from the Field was a finalist for the 2022 Sheila A. E. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. In my conversation with Angela, we talk about her writing journey with Peter Lee's Notes from the Field. And we also talk about how much this book has meant to her and her kids, along with other young readers. Here's my conversation with Angela on. If you could read only one book or watch only one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
1: I'm going to go with the TV show. I actually have a fairly short memory for books and film and television I don't know why it's like I can really enjoy something quite immersively but then you know a week later I will have forgotten the name of the main character and I do this with books all the time it's quite bad I also do this with um tv shows but I have to say the one show that I binge watched recently and uh I don't watch a lot of tv much anymore because I'm sort of moved on to other things I guess but was the the show was the extraordinary attorney woo on Netflix it was a South Korean drama series and I have to say that I either bawled or had tears welled in my eyes every episode and I just found myself uh so immersed in the storytelling and the characters that uh I don't normally rewatch things, but that is one series that I will definitely go back and rewatch because it just, it just grabbed me and didn't let me go.
0: I'm all for a Netflix recommendation because it feels like there's so much bad stuff on Netflix right now. So I appreciate that. (laughs) It's a good one. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk about Peter Lee's Notes from the Field. So in the acknowledgments, you mentioned a little bit about how the book started, and it started as a road trip story and grew from there. Could you talk a bit about your journey with this book and how it evolved?
1: Well, I think the journey with this book really just starts with my journey writing in general, because I um, I'm an English major from UBC. And as most English majors do, I think everybody kind of always thinks in the back of their mind, well. I can write, um, and I think that writing for me was always easy in the sense that that's why I ended up majoring in English because I really wasn't good at anything else. Um, but in terms of writing my own book, I never really tried anything until my daughter was in full time school. When she entered kindergarten full time, I had suddenly time on my hands, and um, that's when I sat down to write Krista Kimba without telling anybody. I didn't mention it to my husband, didn't mention it to my kids. And I actually didn't tell anybody that I had written it until I had a book contract in my hand. And I have to say that being lucky with that book was sort of worked against me because I didn't realize how much work it normally takes. Like that book was sort of like a unicorn. I think I it, it was the right idea at the right time for the right publisher. And so I got it published without really knowing how to write a book, you know, as an English major, I know how to read well, and I know how to criticize and analyze, but when it's your own story, you sort of lose all your sense of um, critical thinking. (laughs) I think you sort of become so emotionally attached to your own work. You don't, and I can't anyway, I can't look at things critically. So when I wrote Krista Kimbap, I was like, wow, that was lucky. I, just got published. And um I didn't realize how unusual a circumstance that was until I sat down to try to write Peter Lee because you know Krista Kimbop was coming out. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna write another story. And so um I didn't hide this, hide it this time. I sort of sat at the dining room table uh, occasionally when my family were around. So I wasn't like trying to keep it a secret. But what I didn't understand was I think I I Think I wanted to do a story that was kind of light and fun. And I just wanted to do a cute little road trip story, but it wasn't enough. And so when I tried submitting it again, the same way I submitted Krista Kimba, you know, I I wasn't agented at the time. I was met with rejection, which surprised me. I was like, what? But I just got published. How can I be rejected? (laughs) And the thing people kept saying was, there's not enough to the story. And there wasn't any like emotional depth. There wasn't any crisis for the main character to overcome. So I had to take the bare bones of this sort of fun little road trip story, which is still in the book. But then I had to add a lot of meat to the bones because the bones just were not enough. And so I actually had to learn how to write a book, which I didn't which I know kind of instinctively but I didn't really think about in a critical way so this book was very difficult to write because um I had to acknowledge that I really didn't know what I was doing and I needed a lot of help along the way so I found good people to help me um edit along the way and then I was sort of still a little bit I don't know, fantastical in my thinking, I guess. I thought, well, this is good enough. Now I'm going to try to get an agent. And I did. So, uh, and then when the agent came back with uh, her editing suggestions, it was basically like, again, she liked most of the story, but she wanted to add a whole other layer and a whole other dimension. And so I ended up having to rewrite again. And so I, with Krista Kembop I didn't have to do major revisions. I think I wrote maybe two drafts. Um, But with Peter Lee, I think I maybe did six or seven, like major reworking, tearing apart, putting it back together at every, every reader, um, at every stage of its journey into being a published book, major rewrites. So this one, uh, the fun little road trip turned out to be a lot of work.
0: (laughs) I mean, it, it, it's so interesting to hear you talk about the journey it's been on because there is so much depth to this book. And it was kind of hard to figure out what to talk about with you in a 30-minute interview because Peter, I mean, he goes, him and his family go through so much in this book. And, and him as a main character, he goes through so many emotional changes and ups and downs. And we really see him grow in this book. Um, but I mean, shame was one of the big emotions that seem to come up and, and we, I mean, as an adult, we, we like to write about shame and talk about shame all the time, but, (laughs) but, but that's not as common in, in a kid's book. And I wondered why that was something you wanted to explore with Peter.
1: Yeah, again, probably wasn't my, um, I never thought of the word shame, which is interesting. I think of the word as, um, I think of the description of his emotion more like a combination of embarrassment and a sense of failure which I guess if you look at the definition of shame that's kind of what it is. <laughs> um but shame I feel like is such a strong word um that I but it it actually does apply to Peter like he is ashamed of his failures because he had put so much effort into wanting something and then to realize that what he wanted he wasn't able to achieve. Um, Again, but this was this idea wasn't always in the story. It was sort of um, a layer I was asked to add for like some more emotional depth. Because I think in the beginning, he may have been a bit snarky about it. He was like, Well, that's fine. I don't care. Um, But then um, one reader said to me, Well, what if he does care? How can we bring this back around? And um, it was that one reader who really, I think, helped me uh, she said, You, you got to bring it paleontology back around. Like, how can you bring it back around? And that one reader really, I think, added the emotional depth of the story and gave this, gave the read a layer that it didn't have before of you wanting to root for this boy because of this shame. And how can you overcome this shame? And I feel like for young kids who maybe have failed in something or feel disappointed in something, learning how to overcome that and sort of dust yourself off and try again is really something like a lot of adults are not even good at. Um, So this is something that if you can figure out how to do as a kid, that really shows a a growth, you know, a maturity, dust yourself off. Yes, things went badly. That wasn't what you wanted, but how do you move on from that? Um, And this part of the story I think is what a lot of people connect to emotionally with. I, I've never really thought about it until you just mentioned it, you know, like this idea of like, why do people connect to him so much? It's because we can all relate. We can all relate to failing and trying to find that strength to dust yourself off and get up and just do it again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was reading it on, on the airplane actually and, and uh, got to that scene and underlined it. Cause I just thought it was so, it really is like that pivot moment where you're like, Peter can either give up completely or somehow grow from it. And and it takes some time, but he gets there. And, and that's mm-hmm. so lovely to read. Mm-hmm. Speaking about Peter's growth. So, as we said, so much happened in this book. And this probably goes back to our first question. But um, how did you approach all the rewrites? Because you, you started with a, a road trip story and then um so you probably didn't have an outline for the book as it ended up being but how did how did the planning and and approach to all that all that rewrite all those like um including reader feedback um how did how did you go about planning that or did you and was it kind of just something that you had to learn to include as you went along
1: um yeah I'm i am as you can gather, I am not a planner. I've tried. I think with my last two, I have tried to plot things out, but I'm not good at that because I find that my mind doesn't work that way. And part of the interest and joy of writing for me are the surprises that I find along the way. And if I've got it all meticulously outlined, some people's outlines, I think, are almost as long as their novels, you know, but they just got it in point form. And where's the fun in that? Like, I, I just... um I can't work that way so i know that about myself and it does make things a lot harder so for peter's all the threads in his story i think living with something for a long time you sort of know it in and out and i could i would then have to think of each sort of plot or subplot did i follow it through did i did i wrap it up enough um does it make sense and you know as i say for me reading my own things i tend to sort of lose all sense of, um, of critical thinking. <laughs> so I really do rely on um, a very good editor, Lynn Misson at Tundra. She, she can read things and ask the right questions. And when she asks the right questions, I have to go back and rethink a lot. Um, and I think ultimately, putting all the pieces together is just a question of having the right editor who asks you the right questions and a lot of time to sort of make sure you've done the best you can with the book. And by the time you've gone through rewriting something six times, you are actually sick to death of it. Like I, I actually won't read it again. Like I won't read any of my published books again because I'm just sick to death of them. Um, <laughs> but I know I've done my best given my mindset of being sick to death of something <laughs> with the story. And, you know, it, it does occasionally come up where something's maybe not wrapped up as well as I would have liked if I had four more months to think about it. But that's, that's the other reality is like, there's a timeline. Like once, once you're, you've signed your contract, like things are kind of in this uh, stream and you can't really disrupt it by saying, no, you know what I, it, you well, you can, but it's difficult for your entire publishing company to, for you to say, you know what, I need more time. <laughs> so you, sometimes you just have to abandon um, your sense of perfectionism and just think, it's good enough for what it is and just move on, which is sort of um, not always the best mindset, but it's a, re- it's the reality of a timeline in publishing.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Cause I've seen some authors reading copies, uh, and they've continued it to edit their own books. Like there's all these yeah. like cross outs yeah. and pencil lines. And yeah. so I don't think we ever really let go of it.
1: <laughs> no, you really don't. But at some point, your editor will just say too bad, send it in. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about the illustrations in the book. Had you always planned to have illustrations in Peter Lee?
1: Um, That is never a decision that is up to me. Um, But luckily, I felt like it was a visual book in a lot of ways. And um, I think the reality of publishing these days is that a lot of middle grade books that really could benefit and uh just create this whole other level of reading experience for a child they don't put the illustrations in because it's expensive you know hiring a good quality illustrator is expensive so i was really pleased when tundra uh told me that they were thinking of putting in i don't know i think they were like eight to ten um black and white drawings because i know as a reader When you look at the illustrations, it's so interesting to see how the illustrator draws these scenes you've put in your mind. So I have to say that Julie Kwan is a bit of a genius because when I looked at what she had drawn for this book, there, there were times I was just crying because she just captured it. She just did such an amazing job. So the illustrators are not only very good visual people, but she also really read the text carefully and um did an amazing job capturing the words into images which is a total skill on un- unto itself you know Lynn I my editor is the one that sort of went and decided which scenes she thought would make cute illustrations and I was like yes or no and the, you know who am I to say this is like my second book so I was like sure whatever you want Lynn you go ahead <laughs> you know what you're doing <laughs> It, it
0: works so well because, I mean, because it's Peter Lee's notes from the field, it's like, I can't imagine there have not, like, if the illustrations weren't there, it feels like somehow it wouldn't have been as authentic to Peter in some way
1: absolutely and 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 that's the b- beauty of having a really strong editorial team behind you it's like they know that like they can read this the story and they just know this one absolutely has to have illustrations and there are some middle grade novels that don't you know but um this one definitely needed it and i'm so pleased with the final result and i w- i also love getting like the early like drafts like seeing the sketches or the concepts that the illustrator um, has in mind and putting in feedback because she uh, there was one thing that I think she drew LB with glasses in one scene and I was like huh, that's interesting because I never mentioned that LB had glasses but I guess as a reader she put her own interpretation into that oh LB is quite clever she's quite smart she must have glasses and I was like no she doesn't so let's take those out so I was able to um, give her feedback like that which is I find just I love those little early glimpses and then seeing the early draft and then seeing the final copy. It's, it's quite, it's quite lovely as the author getting those sneak peeks.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because I've, I've done this podcast for a few years now and I've talked to several, uh, middle grade or YA authors who have passed as teachers or librarians and I think it's interesting that those two have have gone hand in hand for people because in a way I think it gives um, you a special insight into how these books could be used in a classroom or um, yeah and so I wondered how your experience as a teacher and a librarian impacted your writing of, of both your books so far.
1: Well here's the interesting thing about my work history in that I feel if I'm looking back at myself as a teacher, I did my BA, um, finished my BA at 22, got my B. Ed at 23, was in a classroom at 24. And that was too young. I feel like I was not a good teacher. Like I was there. I was funny. I was charming. I sort of worked my way through the curriculum, but I, I don't know. I I can see myself, if I'm, if I'm being objective, I, I'm glad I'm no longer in the classroom because I didn't have the passion that a lot of people I graduated with had for teaching. Um, it was more like just a job. And when I went and did my library degree, that was because I, I told myself, okay, Angela, you're in teaching for five years. It's a five-year plan and then you're out. Um, and so I, I had worked in Hong Kong for two of those years and I just needed something else to do. And so I guess being a person who's like always been surrounded by books, being a librarian seemed like a logical choice. But here's the funny thing I despised the children's librarian courses. <laughs> I took, as I think I took the bare minimum requirement, and I actually ended up working in a corporate library. Oh, wow. In Toronto, Bank of Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in a corporate library. I had nothing to do with children's uh, because I realized as a child of immigrants, my parents didn't read to me. So I didn't know picture books unless I had read them myself. But like, it wasn't like we had a big library at home because my dad was very much of the kind where it's like, well, here, here's Charles Dickens, read it, you know, but I'm, but dad, I'm in grade four. It's a classic, read it. So we had books in the house, but I'm never sure that they were age appropriate because my parents just didn't know. So when I was in doing my library program and I was in my children's literature course, the one required course I had to take, I realized I didn't know children's books because I just was never read. My parents never read them to me. And so I thought I could never work as a children's librarian. And so I didn't, um, I just chose other paths. So the only reason I ended up writing children's stories was because I had kids of my own and, um, we ended up having an extensive library at home that we bought and also my sisters whose kids were older, just enough older that she was able to pass on all the books that they had kind of outgrown. So we had boxes coming from Toronto uh, full of children's books. And so that's when I fell in love with children's literature is when I had kids of my own. So it wasn't like I had this lifelong dream of writing kid stuff. It was just I also realized that at some point along the way that if I was going to write things, my voice or how I write stories I guess I'm kind of like the immature mom. My parent, my my children are always humiliated by my jokes. Like I'm, I'm, I'm rather immature. So, which works perfectly for a middle grade voice. And so those kinds of things just aligned. Um, and so that's how I ended up writing children's. It's not because I had always aspired to, you know, work with children's books or anything like that. It's just my life led me to this, you know, having my kids. And um, this, the timing of all of that.
0: Yeah. So your your home library for your kids then was not like the the books that Peter was being given. Then it sounds like no, that no, was probably no. Probably more like your experience with that was
1: probably ones. a little dig at my dad. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I I was curious about that part because I think I mean we uh, we often hear about that about the how the children of immigrants, especially there's that. Um, it's you know are encouraged to succeed and to have good jobs and we see that with Peter's parents for sure yeah. in what they're and and totally out of love and caring but uh, missing that their kid their kids want to be kids at the same time.
1: Absolutely, like we had no money growing up, but somehow we had. Uh, do you remember the Encyclopedia Britannica? Yeah. Okay. So we had the Encyclopedia Britannica guy come because World Book wasn't good enough. We had to have the Encyclopedia Britannica and it came in kind of like two editions. There was like the very expensive leather bound one and then the the faux like leatherette set. So my parents put together money for for some reason to buy like the second best set of Encyclopedia Britannica that they could. I think the copyright date is 1980. (laughs) And so- um, we had never been on our vacation, never been, <laughs> never been on an airplane, but we had a better set of encyclopedias than the local public library. And my dad expected us to read those. Oh. So, <laughs> so, you know, when, some, so I, I get a little bit annoyed when uh, I see people comment about the mother and father being like really pushy because, Oh, they're, they're not very nice parents. I'm like, they were kind of like my parents. So they are a true representation of my immigrant child experience. Like that's what my parents did. They bought us books that they thought were good for us, um, that they thought would help us succeed in life. And no matter, they gave up, they would give up their holidays to buy the family a set of encyclopedia because information and learning things was the key to not being a poor immigrant anymore you know? So when people make comments like that, it's like, "Hmm, must be nice not to have (laughs) to uh, not really understand that parents are like this. And it's not to say that, you know, I I do kind of have resentment about my, the way my parents raised us, but that's all they knew. Like all they want is for your child to succeed because they just want better than they had.
0: Yeah. It, It was interesting when, um, when we announced that peter lee's notes from the field had been shortlisted we got loads and you might have seen them on twitter too lots of teachers and librarians just saying how happy they were that this book was being recognized because it had meant so much in their classrooms and i've heard that from other folks as well and i wondered how you've felt about that response to your book
1: um it's sort of interesting like i do hear the odd thing here and there but you know I, I don't get a lot of people emailing me directly and telling me that, um, and I know a lot of other writers do, like they hear from people directly, and I haven't, so I really didn't know how it was being received. Um, I knew it was important for me. I knew it was important for my kids. I'm going to start feeling emotional, sorry, <laughs> but like just the cover, seeing just a Korean family and a Korean kid just you know, trying to live their best lives. That was important for me. And maybe my kids, um, they haven't really sort of verbalized it, but I know it's important for them too. So to go on a broader scale, like it didn't really matter if other people cared about the story or not because I cared about it. So I try, that's the, I want it to be impactful, but I can't let that sort of dominate my life. So, um, there have been a few people that have reached out and told me how, um, you know, their kids who never liked books, didn't like reading, but they saw Peter and they saw the cover and they were sort of like immediately drawn. And it was a book that this one, one family in particular, I'm thinking about in San Francisco um, how the kid just doesn't read, but sat down and the mother sent a picture of her son sitting on the sofa reading purely and, Little moments like that are very impactful to me because I don't really, not like I'm getting these messages daily, you know, I'm getting them sporadically, but when they do come, they are extremely gratifying to read um, because I guess with children's literature, you have to be so careful because of the child that's reading it. Like you really want them to benefit in some way. And I guess for me, the only thing that I can do is write from my own experience because nobody else is. And I know that nobody else is really. Um, but I expect, sorry, I'm rambling here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I expect that um, somebody who can see themselves on the cover will sort of read it and feel impacted in some way, but it's when it goes beyond that, if I can create empathy in a reader that may never have wanted to, or cared about stories about, you know, this little Korean Canadian boy in Vancouver, um, if somebody can read that and relate on a level that is a surprise, that's always the the true beauty of being a children's author is never knowing who you're impacting and um it's also kind of scary because uh it's it's quite a, a weight and it's quite a responsibility. Um but I'm so glad that people have connected to the story. Um and I think because I sort of entered this territory that nobody else had, and I'm I'm hoping to encourage other younger people to to follow, to come come with me. Like there is a market out there for people who need these kinds of stories. Um I especially feel like Canadian stories, you know, stories set in Canada, set in a place that you can relate to. I just feel like so many authors are too scared to do that because there's that whole practical side of, well, I want this to sell. And if I write it in Canada, like, will anybody read it? Will anybody want it? Because it's set in Canada. And I think the resounding answer is yes. You just have to be brave enough to put that story out there.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, I I threw that question at at you and it wasn't on our list. So So, uh, my last question for you is, uh, I I used to ask people what they're working on, which I feel is an unfair question because sometimes we're not working on anything at all. But uh, what's inspiring the work you're doing these days or the work you're thinking about doing these days?
1: Um. I think it would be easier just to ask to answer the first question or the question you're not asking me, which is <laughs>
0: <laughs> the one you're working on. <laughs> you can answer that one too. <laughs> um, well, I think
1: I would say, well, I have a book that was just the book deal was just announced. It's another one with Tundra. Um, that's scheduled for 2024. I think. Um, it's another middle grade novel. It's called Team Park. It's it's interesting how I get inspiration. Like I can have really dry periods of time where I'm not working or thinking about anything because maybe life's getting in the way. Like um, I'm doing a big gardening project or something, you know, like I get distracted with stuff at home. But for the last, I would say 2021, I had this really creative outburst of writing. Um, I wrote this theme park, which Tundra bought and is publishing. And I wrote another book which is not yet announced so I can't tell you too much about it but it's also Tundra also about it <laughs> um and that one's for slightly younger kids and I, those two I wrote very quickly because I just had like this idea and you know as you know you I don't plan anything so I just write um and those two came together incredibly fast and required very little editing so in the past with um Peter Lee and with my book that's out that came out this year 00 Stephen I've had like multiple readers read it and like multiple rounds and multiple changes and overhauls and and things. But the latest two needed very little work. And so I think I might have a sense of how to write a book now.
0: (laughs) Finally, yay.
1: I might know what I'm doing. But those stories I think are fun. Team Park is definitely fun. But I knew before I finished it, that I was going to get the comment, can't just be fun. Where's, you know, that's the bones, what's the meat. So, um, I added like some emotional depth about sort of family relationships and dynamics between a uh, son and his father that are sort of slightly complicated, uh, dynamics. And then my other one is, it's a, it's a younger story. It's my first, um, foray into what they're calling early middle grade you might call it a late chapter book or an early middle grade and that one's going to be highly illustrated and i'm very much looking forward to that one because it's something slightly different for me um but i think those stories are just they came out of the blue they were like a lightning bolt and i actually haven't written much since those actually because uh what did I call it? My golden age of, of writing that 2021 was really like the best year I've ever had. And I don't know if I'm going to match that again, but I always think I'm out of ideas and then ideas always come. <laughs> but anyway, that's what I'm working on. Um, I'm not really sure what informs them or what inspires them. I, the team park, I was just looking outside at my backyard and we have these cedar trees, which I have a love-hate relationship with because they provide a lot of privacy, but they have, um, if anybody who owns a property knows, has these trees on their property, they know what I'm talking about. A lot of, I call it cedar dandruff, a lot of needles and cones, and they get everywhere. So I was staring at these trees, loving loving them and hating them at the same time. And then I thought, wouldn't it be cool to set up like an obstacle course in the backyard? And then I was thinking about a boy climbing these trees, and then that character was born. Wow. So, you know, I don't know if that kind of idea is ever going to sort of strike me like that again, but that's where that one came from.
0: That was Angela on Angela's book, Peter Lee's Notes from the Field, was a finalist for the 2022 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, I talk to Shane Goth, author of The Midnight Club. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.